It's truly about the cross. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you have your Bible, just for a few moments, we're going to take our text uh, from Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. You've heard this in the mall somewhere when Handel's Messiah, parts of it were being played. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. But this is the real central issue. Unto us a child is born. And unto us a son is given. Don't put them together. The child born, the son given, and focus on the manger. Separate them. The child born is Jesus in the manger. The Messiah has come. But he came on a mission. He came with a destiny. And a son was given. Not given to lay in a manger and evoke sentimental feelings i get sentimental isaiah 9 6 i get sentimental when i look at a manger scene uh it's not biblically accurate most of the time and we don't want to we don't want to take away from the joy of it by getting argumentative about it a lot of things are not accurate they say that he couldn't have been born in winter because, uh, uh, you know, it, it wasn't. They just, they're finding, some people just want to argue. They don't want to find the good. They want to pick up on the negative. They go to the, go to the red light. They never go to the green light to make a turn. Can you say, man, although it's green as long as it is red? There's a lot of negative people that want to pick at everything and everybody. They never find the things that should bring us true joy and lasting peace. So, at any rate, they say it couldn't have been born in winter. It couldn't have been December. Well, you know, it could have been. But that's not the real issue. Finding the exact day is not the real issue. It may be for your birthday, but not for his. The fact that he came, that he was incarnate, that the Messiah who was prophesied showed up. In that little town of Bethlehem. It's that fact we're celebrating. However, with all of the arguments against it by certain scholars and theologians and preachers who just like to argue more than proclaim truth, uh, it could have been winter. You know why it could have been winter? Number one, they said it couldn't have been winter because they don't keep their flocks outside. It gets snowy. It gets cold. It couldn't have been winter for that reason. could have been winter for this reason. Because this was not a normal flock that those particular shepherds were attending. These were the sheep that were brought in, the lambs, without spot, without blemish, to be offered up a sacrifice for sin. And the shepherds that were keeping watch over them, and God is a stickler for symbolism. He wants things to represent His truth. These shepherds were not normal shepherds. They were the temple shepherds who were assigned to watch over the lambs that were brought up to be offered in the temple. And temple worship didn't stop when winter came. It continued. So this was not a normal situation. Why would God proclaim such great news to these particular shepherds keeping these particular lambs? Because in reality, in spiritual truth, a little lamb sacrificed lamb 
was born in Bethlehem. It's not wrong to say. It's not disrespectful to say. I can biblically back it up to say that Mary had a little lamb. Jesus was born to die for us. He came so he could go to the cross and pay our sin debt. And when John saw him, the revelation of God dropped into his heart before the cross. He saw a man coming, this anointed, pure, holy one. He didn't see him as a teacher, a preacher, a prophet. You know what? He didn't see him as a king. You know what he saw? Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. A Lamb that would be an accepted sacrifice for every person in the world that would trust in Him. That, that absolutely proves, it's a proof text to the text, again, backing it up, that said it's not His will that any perish, but that all have eternal life. One of the wise men brought myrrh. One brought gold. Because gold is a gift for the king, a king, any king. An appropriate gift for the king is something so precious. And gold was brought. Another brought frankincense, which is it's another gift that's represented of blessing someone that you esteem very highly. But myrrh was the unusual gift that was brought to this baby. Because myrrh was that bitter balm that they used at funerals when someone had died. And it would be like going to a baby shower with all of the celebration of a, of a new life coming into the world and giving the mother, knowing that this child is going to die before the mother, and giving the mother a certificate for a casket paid in full. Can you imagine the mother's thoughts? What an inappropriate gift for a celebration of such joy that one of the kings had the revelation. It was revelation that brought them there. By the way, they came many months. We showed them together because it's part of the narrative of Christmas. But the wise men didn't get there until many months after the shepherds got there. But that's no big deal. They came. The big deal is that they were led there. They were the magi. They studied the heavens. They were, they were not astrologers. They were astronomers. And they studied the heavens because they believed that great events on earth were represented by events in the heavens. And they saw that star. They said, something is up with that star. And they began because they, 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 they had heard the stories of a king that would come through the Jewish prophecies. And they began to study that and they said, that star represents some big event upon the earth. Something that we've got to follow it to find out. And while they pursued the star and it led them to the stable, into their heart was dropped revelation. I'm going to tell you something. When God drops revelation in your heart, you see things from a perspective that you've never seen it before. And what you see, you'll never forget. Amen. 
you ever read the Bible with the Holy Spirit? Don't ever read the Bible by yourself. Read it with the Holy Spirit. Because that's why he, one of the reasons he was given when the Spirit, when he, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. How many know we need his guidance? Otherwise, we're going to take the, take the spiritual under deeper spiritual understandings of the word and we're going to trivialize it. We're going to just not see the glory that's hidden in the treasures that are in the the Bible. But when you read it with the Holy Spirit, it's kind of like 3D. It's kind of like one of them pop-up books. When I was growing up, I loved 3D. I laid in my grandma's floor. I put on those red and green 3D glasses and I, I read comic books that were 3D. And Thor was one of them. He was this guy with a... No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't Thor. It was a caveman. And it wasn't alley-oop. I know what you're thinking. Me and him are old school. Amen. This is, this is another guy. Turok, son of stone. And I remember drinking a half a glass of milk because I couldn't have a whole one. There wouldn't be enough left to go around. So my grandma gave me a half a glass of milk and a flavor straw. You know what a flavor straw was? It was a straw that had something that looked like a shoelace in it that was full of chocolate flavor. When you suck the milk through the straw, you drink something that was a sweet, sweet, chocolatey taste with the milk. And I remember one of the highlights of my life. You can see I didn't live a very exciting life. I was laying in the floor on a rainy day. Looking at looking at Torok, son of stone, with that, you know, almost coming out at me and sucking on milk through a flavor straw. I've always liked 3D or pop-out stuff. Pop-out books as you open them up and this scene pops out. And you know what I love? I love to get in the Word of God with the Holy Ghost. And you're reading something you've read a hundred times or more. And suddenly something just pops out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. One scholar of Scripture that that had studied the Scriptures for years, he just got filled with the Holy Ghost. And when he got filled with the Holy Ghost, he began to reread the Scriptures that he thought he knew everything about and knew by heart. But when he got filled with the Holy Ghost, he saw things that he missed. (laughs) He said, I can't believe I missed so much in the Word of God. He said, I was reading the Bible and a man stood up. He said, wherever I read, a man stood up and a man stood out. A glistening man, a holy man, an anointed man. A man like no other man that has ever lived or ever will live. He said, I begin to read not just about Jesus, but I begin to see Jesus in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Because when He comes, when the Holy Ghost comes, He will what? He will testify of me. He's going to tell you about me. I'm going to give you a little word of warning here today. Beware of any ministry that emphasizes the Holy Ghost above Jesus Christ. Because if the Holy Ghost is really represented as He should be, He's going to put the focus on Jesus. Can you say amen? He's going to testify of Him. Bear witness of Him. Glory to God. When things pop out, when you see it, I've been studying mercy and grace, and people are going to accuse me. I just I watched a, 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 a thing the other day where a preacher was defending Jimmy Swagger's Bible college. 
because some preacher had said, because, you know, when you fall as bad as some people fall, only thing that can save you, restore you, and help you is the mercy and grace of God. But it can and it will. If you don't believe it, if you don't believe it, you read David's story. If you don't believe that someone can be restored through mercy and grace, read the story of David. And, and his, his restoration, by the way, and by the way, I, you think David's a great... When you read the whole story of David and how far down he was and, and what, what, what the magnitude of his sin was, uh, you don't see him as such a champion and hero. It's not just about slaying the giant. There was a, a giant of, of, of temptation that, that fell David. But thank God for mercy and grace that restored David. Hallelujah. I love David. Till I read all he done. And I said, what a... I don't want to be disrespectful to David. He knows what he was. Can you say amen? You know the story of David? The grace and mercy that it took to save him? Restore him? That's why he wrote all those psalms of praise and glory to God. That's why he said, Create in me a clean heart, renew in me a right spirit, and restore to me the joy of your salvation. Take not the Holy Spirit from me. And he's not talking now about anointing to kill his enemies and the enemies of Israel. He's talking about anointing to overcome a far more dangerous enemy to his own soul. And that's his own weakness, his own fallacies, his own fallibility, his own flesh. Amen? Aren't you glad that there's mercy and grace flowing to you today? Hallelujah. And it didn't flow because a baby came and laid in a manger. It flowed because a man hung on the cross in your behalf. And in mine. But the more I read, the more I see the mercy and grace. And, and right now, the focus, if you've, if you've heard Jimmy Swagger say anything, he's giving God glory for mercy and grace. There are people who will be offended here the more we talk about grace because they're going to try to put me in a category. They seem to have a problem with grace until they need it. <laughs> Can you say, man? I didn't hear grace preached. I've seen people squirm in their seat. I'm not looking at you today. Amen. But I've seen people squirm in their seat while we're preaching about mercy and grace. Because our flesh glories in earning things. We earn the Holy Spirit. We're got holy enough to deserve the Holy Spirit. And that's why I speak in tongues and you don't. By the way, he does, but I'm just using him as an illustration. We use tongues as a badge of our spirituality. It's a gift. If I give you a million dollars, you are not an entrepreneur. You didn't go out and build an industry and earn that. You got rich because somebody made you rich. They, there's the old rich and then there's the new rich. The old rich is handed down to them. The new rich has been given to them and handed down a lot of times. But the old, old rich, somebody went from nothing and built that something to hand down to somebody else. 
But when it's handed down to you, you can't take credit for it. And salvation is a gift. This is gift-giving season. But the great gift to be celebrated is nothing that will fit under a tree. I know y'all are going to get me that Escalade for Christmas. And I'm... I'm, I'm what? <laughs> he calls the things not as though they were. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to drive that bad boy. I'm just not going to drive it to Walmart. Somebody will open that big truck door and bang it. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Listen, I enjoy anything anybody does for me. But I want to enjoy what I have in Christ above anything that could be possibly given, granted, or imagined. I wore a, a watch one Sunday, and it was, it was one of those watches that looks more expensive than it is. It was an Armani watch. And if you know about Armani suits, they're very expensive. This one was on sale for 50 bucks. My wife got it for me for a present. Amen. And I appreciated it. I said, that's a beautiful watch. And uh, when I do wear that watch, I'm aware that it looks more expensive than what she got it for. I and mean, she didn't buy it from that guy with all those watches on his arm either. She got it at a 60% off and 50% off of that and whatever sales at one of the major department stores. I appreciate that watch, but I wore it one time. Your daughter was here, and I'd made a statement uh, in preaching that I would rather have a, a brand-new pickup truck then something I can use and, and is useful to me uh, than to have a Rolex watch that costs twenty five or thirty thousand. That's the low end Rolex, by the way. Amen. They go on up. And so I reached to shake her hand, and she I saw her look at that watch. She said, "Would you still rather have a pickup truck?" <laughs> I said, "Yes, ma'am. I have it. My value system has not changed." I don't need to show off some material symbol of wealth. You know why? Because I know what I have in Jesus Christ. I know what I possess in Him. And I know it cannot be compared with anything material. That is not to say that God doesn't bless us materially. Amen. He does. He wants to. But He doesn't want us to become materialistic. That's the issue to keep the balance and the issue becomes extremely important in the commercialized season that we're in called Christmas. Isaiah 9, 6 says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. And last night, as I said, I wrote this down. This significant but often sentimentalized truth seems to capture our focus at Christmas. The Christ child, perfect and pure Lying in a manger. The lyrics of Silent Night reflect this beautifully, doesn't it? Round yon virgin, mother, and child. I ruined it for Doug. I might have wished to ruin it for you. Little boy comes home from Sunday school. They're drawing a picture of the first advent. He chooses the manger scene. And he has the stable... And the baby, he has stick figures for Mary and Joseph. And one of the stick figures is unusual because it's like a big round ball with a head and arms and little bitty legs. And his mama says, 
Who is that? He said, that's Joseph. Well, who is this? That's Mary. Who is that? That's baby Jesus. Who is that? That's the shepherds. Who is that? That's the three wise men. Well, who is this? Round. That's round John Virgin. <laughs> round John. Now, every time you hear that, you're going to lose your spirituality. Can you say that? <laughs> and your sentimentality. And you're going to say, my pastor just ruined Silent Night. Silent Night captures the focus of Christmas. You will see manger scenes on Christmas cards. You will see the three wise men on Christmas cards. But you will rarely see, if ever, a cross on a Christmas card. And yet, the significance of His coming without the cross is meaningless. A pure, holy baby, even God incarnate, could not save anyone without being the Lamb of God on the cross. So in essence, Mary had a little lamb, and one of the three wise men knew an appropriate gift for him is myrrh. Is myrrh. Is myrrh. Listen to me carefully. This communion is to put the cross and Christ on it in focus so that we don't focus only on the cradle. The manger scene is the predominant symbol at Christmas for Christians to reflect the true meaning. That's where we look. Christmas communion, however, it's not a celebration of Christ's birth, but a commemoration of His purpose in coming to be born. Not to lie helpless in a cradle, but to hang helpless on a cross and then to rise up in triumph in our behalf. Can you amen that today? It is, it is not trivial, but truthful to say, biblically and spiritually, Mary had a little sacrificed lamb. You know, the lambs that were brought to the temple shepherds to keep, the ones that Jesus appeared to because He, be, he was born Lamb of God. He wasn't just born King of Kings. He was born Lamb of God. And John saw Him as the Lamb of God. And in the book of Revelation, He's the Lamb of God. In the book of Revelation, there's, there's looking for someone to represent fallen humanity. Someone that can take the title deed to the earth back that had been forfeited through the fall and through sin. And a search was made in heaven and earth, and not one was found worthy to walk up. And this begins the tribulation, which is the purifying of the earth for God's people and God's kingdom to rule and reign forever. Amen. But not one was found in heaven, no one that's ever lived and went to heaven, and no one living upon the earth was found worthy to walk up to him that sits on the throne and take the book out of his hand. And John was weeping. And the angel said, don't weep. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, he hath prevailed. And he, representing us because he became flesh, 
That victory he achieved wasn't for himself. It was for you and me and all those that were part of the fall. The lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed. And he, he lived that sinless life. He lived that spotless life. He died that death and God raised him up triumphant forever. And he prevailed over the devil. He prevailed over hell. He prevailed over the grave. Hallelujah. And he did it for you and he did it for me. Praise God. And he's worthy to take the book from him that sits upon the throne. And John turned around to see this mighty, magnificent lion. You know what he saw? He said, I turned to see. And I saw a lamb as it had been slain. The pure white of the lamb. They cut the throat. And the blood gushes. And it soaks into the wool. And now the lamb is covered with crimson. Crimson. He looked for a lion, but he saw a blood-soaked lamb. Can you say amen? And that's how he prevailed. Amen. What looked like a cosmic defeat, a terrible defeat on the cross. Hell must have held a party, but it only lasted three days. Can you say amen? Can you say amen? Hallelujah. But we're going to have a party Beginning with the marriage supper of who? The Lamb. Can you say man? And how long is it going to last? <laughs> yeah. We're going to have to have glorified bodies. <laughs> Amen. Because it's going to last forever and forever. Age without end. Christmas, make no mistake about it, is about the triumph of the cross. It, the cross couldn't happen if He hadn't came. But we don't just celebrate the baby. The baby grew up. And at 33 years old, He hung between heaven and earth. And therein is our celebration. Nothing that you could ever acquire amen can can come close to what he has done for you and me on the cross hallelujah for we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold after the tradition of your fathers but with the precious blood of the lamb can you say amen hallelujah O Lamb of God, O Lamb of God, O precious Lamb of God. Hallelujah. Unto us a child is born. Christmas communion and the true meaning of Christmas, we must look beyond the cradle to the cross. Salvation was in view when Jesus became incarnate, in flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Salvation could only be obtained through a sacrifice lamb no other way no other way not only was a child born therefore but a son was given in the heart of god he was given to die he came to die the best representation i saw of that was a small church like ours a small congregation church and big churches put on big to-dos, live mangers. There's a church I saw on TV. They had a procession of wise men. They had real camels. They must have good carpet. That's all I got to say. 
a lot of Scotch guard. Can you say, man? They had a real donkey, and Mary riding on the donkey. And come on, donkeys! Donkeys don't raise their hands when they have to go to the bathroom. Can you say, man? They just go where they are. Amen. They're not self-conscious at all about that. Just elimination. Camels? Are you kidding me? I don't know about camels. They're big. All I know is they're big. I had a big dog. And uh, when I picked up the yard every other day, you would be amazed. I could fertilize all of my plants and some of yours. Can you say amen? You've got a little dog. You're very blessed. Amen. <laughs> we have grand... But this caught me more than anything. I saw that. I said, Lord, look at that church of 10,000 people. And they got, a, they got Mary on a donkey, a real donkey coming down as they're singing their carols. They, they got camels and wise men, real camels. They got real animals and, and the big procession. And they got a 100-piece you know, orchestra playing and a 150-voice and a choir singing. And then the congregation chiming in. I said, it can't get any better than that. But it did for me. Because a little church, similar to ours in size, out front, they had a manger scene. And you've seen one, you've, you know what they're all about. No one hardly gives a second glance to just a manger scene, or shouldn't, unless they understand the significance of why he came and what he accomplished on the cross. And they looked, I looked at it, and I, 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 I saw how they did it. About 25 yards in front of that manger scene, they had... A simple wooden cross that they had made it themselves. The cross, they had it sideways like that so that the three spotlights would cast the shadow of the cross over the manger scene. And I stopped my car. I pulled off the side of the road and I said, I see a lot of Christmas celebrations. But right now, this has got my focus. This is the reason for the season. Without the cross, Jesus' birth would be meaningless. As great a teacher, great a healer, as anointed as he was, we could not be saved unless he went to the cross. Unless he's hung on it until the sin debt was paid. And unless he rose from the dead to show that God accepted the sacrifice. He said it's finished, but Jesus didn't have the last word. He said it's accomplished. I've done everything God requires, but God is the final authority on whether it's enough. But on that third day, when he rose up to live again forever... It validated everything that he did on the cross, everything that he said. Hallelujah. It designated him as the true and living Messiah, God in flesh, God incarnate. And I just praise God. I said, Lord, I thank you for someone who understands Christmas better than most Christians. In that simple presentation is the core of what Christmas is really all about. And we're cautioned today, this communion is to, to set us in that direction of seeing the shadow of the cross on that beautiful manger scene and upon that beautiful 
baby boy because he was born in the shadow of that cross. That's what Christmas communion is all about. Luke 2.11 says, For unto you this day born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 15. Listen to it carefully. I don't know what you're going to be thankful for Christmas Day. Family, a particular gift that you wanted. Or if you're going to celebrate a Savior and a salvation that came to you by gift. By the way, if you don't receive salvation as a gift, you can't get saved. Now, See, that's what makes people so mad. They want to put you in a hyper grace camp. Don't have to be hyper. Just let it be what it is. There are people that seem to have a problem with grace until they need it. Then they're glad there's such a thing as unmerited favor. I wonder how they got saved. I wonder how they, they, they were able to keep the law so perfectly that they could say, I am good enough to go to heaven. If you don't think you're good enough, you probably think you know someone that was good. If anybody's going to go to heaven, my grandma is. Well, if she don't know Jesus, she's not going to heaven. She don't repent of her sin. Oh, she ain't got no sin. That's not your call, darling. That's not your call, honey. You're not the judge. God is. Let me tell you what God said about all of us. We have all sinned. Jesus didn't have to come if we could make it some other way. Jesus didn't have to hang on that cross if He could save us some other way. There is no other way. If there's another way, Jesus said, Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will be done. I'm so glad for Gethsemane. I'm so glad for the cross. I'm so glad for the Christ that came to take my place so I could know I'm going to heaven when I die. Amen. How many know Jimmy Swaggart had a fall? No secret. How many believe that grace can restore him? Not because he's Jimmy Swaggart, but because anyone who has fallen, grace can restore you. And then, now that he's been restored by grace and the focus is more on grace than anything else and the Bible college is really into mercy and grace preacher got out of his car and said to one of the men who sit on the board of the Bible college I hear you all are into that hyper grace stuff that grace 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 stuff I know what they're talking about there are people that are trying to use grace to cover up sin instead of confess. Grace is not there to cover up for you. Grace is there to forgive you when you repent of your sin. The Bible said if we say we have no sin, please say that because they think I'm making this up. We lie. We what? Lie. We what? We lie. We lie. And there are Christians in congregations all over America that lie every Sunday. 
those altars are empty. We're not bad enough to ever need an altar. We don't need it. He needs it bad. She needs it worse. Not me. See, you wouldn't dare stand up and mouth those words because you know the Bible's against you and God's against you saying it. But because of the lack of repentance among God's people, the lack of conviction, never, never seeing ourselves. But boy, we can see everybody else with 2020. We got microscopic, magnifying vision of everybody else's faults, failures, and sins. We hear a sermon. We're like the lady that here's years ago. She's not here anymore. We've been in this for 43 years in January. So I met a lot of people. So don't associate it with somebody that may be dead. Or, or I need a disclaimer. Any, any resemblance between anyone living or dead, you know, <laughs> don't take it personal. Or as the three stooges put a, on their disclaimer, any resemblance between anyone living or dead is a dirty shame. Amen. <laughs> But she would go out the door, and she loved it when I bore down on sin, which I'd bear down on from time to time. Got to get rid of sin. If you, Amen. You can be forgiven. Don't try to cover sin. Don't try to hide sin from a God that sees it all. The worst thing is you deceive yourself. You deceive others. But God knows. <laughs> and and the Holy Spirit, part of His job is to convict us of sin. When it's in there, God wants to deal with it. He's made a provision. But she would go out, and I'm, I'm being honest, she would say, Pastor, I appreciate that sermon today. You really hit the nail on the head. You really told them today. Told them today. Amen. You told them. And I knew she... Listen, I even have in my mind sometimes, boy, there's people in here need to respond to this message. I know they're messed up. Toe up from the flow up. Spiritually, can you say, man, compromise. They need an altar. They need to get right so God can restore them and bless them. They're complaining about their condition. And only... Listen, what God told ancient Israel stands today. My ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. My hand is not short that it cannot save. But your sins have separated between you and your God. And that's why Jesus came. To restore us into a reconciled fellowship relationship with God. Till sin is no longer a separator. Praise God until He accepts us in the Beloved. Until we become not just sinners saved by grace. We were sinners. We have been saved by grace. But now we're the sons and daughters of Almighty God. Can you see? Amen. Hallelujah. What a fellowship. What a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. And I thought, Lord, they're criticizing a, a, a spirit-filled Bible college that preaches against sin because they dare to emphasize grace while they're doing it, to have a balanced ministry. And I thought, you know something? Sooner or later, the self-righteous are going to be cutting me. Amen? The minute I start talking about grace, they're going to try to put me in that camp of people that just want to cover up their sin. 
Grace isn't to cover sin or conceal it. Grace is so that when we confess our sin, He can legitimately forgive our sin and restore our soul. And I'm thankful for the grace of God. I'm thankful for the mercy of God. Except for His mercy, no one in here would be saved. Except for His grace, you can't get saved. And when you do get saved, you can't boast in anything in yourself. You can only boast in the cross. The Apostle Paul said, if I glory, and the Greek word is to boast in, hallelujah, if I glory in anything, and look at all he had to glory in. He said, if I have reason to boast, listen to my credentials. In that day, they were highly honored what he had. I'm a Jew of the Jews. I'm one of them covenant men. I'm one of them Abraham seed boys. Can you say amen? I'm... A Jew of the Jews. I'm of a, a, the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised the eighth day according to the law. And by the way, since we're talking about the law, I'm blameless. No, he wasn't. 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 But the self-righteous think they are. And that's what holds back revival. It's not sin that holds back revival as far as the sinful world. It's the self-righteous. They sit in church going through their religious ritual and never repenting because they don't see themselves as God sees them. They look down on you. They look down on me. They have no authority to do it. In fact, Jesus said, before you try to help anybody with their issue, take the beam. The beam? Come on, Lord. That, aren't you exaggerating a little bit? Am I that blind? The beam? That big timber that holds up the roof? In my eye? Take the beam out of your eye so you can see more clearly how to cast the moat. You know what a moat is? A piece of dust. A speck. That's it. He's a theologian. A speck. Say it. A speck. A speck of dust. So someone with a beam in their eye is going to have a surgical procedure on someone with a speck of dust. God help us. Can you say amen? Amen. God help us. Come on. Hallelujah. Listen to me, my dear friend. I just preached two messages on radio about living in the now of our salvation. And Romans chapter 7 ends with, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of sin? I thank God through Jesus Christ. And then without a break, chapter and verse was written for translation. But the letter is just a comma, not a new chapter. And <laughs> it says, Now! Everybody say now. now. How many know what now means? Rat now. Two men in a job interview, both of them desperate for work, filling out an application. 
One looks over at the other and says, how do you spell rat? He said, R-A-T, why? He said, because it says, when can you start work? And I'm going to put down right now. Can you say, man? Well, right now, right at this moment, if you're a Christian, now, how many living in the now? You need to live in the now of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not a future thing. It's a done thing. And if you read the Scripture correctly, you're going to see so many things are yours in the past tense. And in the present tense. Heaven is in the future tense. But victory is in the present tense. And the price paid for your victory is in the past tense. Now therefore... Now, therefore, there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk after, I understand that, who walk after the Spirit. If you're in Jesus and you're born again, then you are following more of the promptings of the Holy Spirit than the promptings of the devil in your weak flesh. If you're not a real Christian, that's immaterial. But if you are a real Christian and you've been born from above, the flesh is not the domineering, dominant part of your life let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to fulfill it in the lust thereof amen but a true christian may have problems with our weak flesh we're certainly going to have problems with the devil but we should have no problem with who's going to be the final authority and influence in our life in effect who's going to be our adonai our lord and that's Jesus Christ. Can you say man? And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, the Christian faith, that body of truth that tells us what he's done and what is ours because he did it. Thank God for Jesus today. So we thank God for something that can't be described. <laughs> I believe one of the reasons, and this is me, but I believe... After all these years walking with the Lord, one of the things and one of the reasons that tongues was given is to thank God for the unspeakable gift. Because there's nothing in the human language that can fully express the worth and value of where your soul spends eternity. You can search the dictionaries of the world. There are no words. How do you know? Because the scripture says it's inexpressible. It's inexplicable. It's unexplainable. Can I read that to you? We'll have Holy Communion in just a moment. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be unto God for the unspeakable gift. Some translate inexpressible gift. Indescribable gift. A gift that words cannot describe unspeakably precious. Unspeakably precious. I've spent most of my life trying to describe the indescribable. Amen. The gospel is trying to describe the indescribable. It's the greatest news ever announced. And yet to so many Christians and so many congregations, it's just a given. You know Christ died for you? Oh yeah, I know that. 
No, I'm off to my business. I'm off to my concerns. I'm off to my affairs. It doesn't stop and give me pause anymore. That's what holds back revival. And I say this prophetically. The revival that's going to come will have signs and wonders. He's going to restore the healing and the health to his people. He's still Jehovah Rapha. He hasn't changed. We've changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the great physician. He heals today. No one has rescinded James 5, 14. A lot of people don't practice it anymore. But it has not been rescinded. There be any sick among you, let them call the elders of the church. The prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. Start explaining that away. You're adding to the word or you're taking from the word. Let it stand and we're going to see God's miracles again and his help for his people. Can you say man? Glory to God. Let it stand. I don't make excuses for, well, I tried it. It didn't work. Well, it takes a prayer of faith. And as your faith be, so be it unto you. And if thou, with God, nothing is impossible, and the things that are impossible with men are possible with God, and all things are possible to him that believe, and whatever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Heretofore you've asked nothing in my name. Ask that you may receive, that your joy may be full. There's a man that we know through my mother-in-law who was a good friend to her when she was sick and cared for her. And now we babysit his dog. He hasn't yet come to Christ. But when I told he loves his dog and he, he loves my dog and he loves animals. And, and he's just, you know, this kind of crusty Harley guy. Not that Harley guys are bad guys and... Because we've got a biker chick right here, and I've got to be very careful. Her husband takes care of all of the Harley Davisons for the Sheriff's Department. Puts the radios and installs them and all of that stuff. And he drives a Harley. And you rides on the back with him on the Harley. And for Christmas under the tree, she wants a sidecar. <laughs> she don't have to hold on. She wants leather seats, leg room. Air conditioning, stereophonic radio. <laughs> yeah. Only he thinks it's not cool to have a sidecar. I told Pamela, I said, if you won't let me get a motorcycle, you know, while I'm going, I start to say middle aged crazies, but I left them years ago. Amen. <laughs> this is just old age goofy, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, said, I said, we could get one of those with training wheels. Those trikes. The new trike, come on. Two, yeah. That's right. And drive it like an automobile. And if I stop, it won't fall over on me. When I was young and careless and crazy, I had a BSA motorcycle. And I remember riding it at night and leaning it so far on the curves that the, the pipes would would scrape the hard road and sparks would fly. I would lean it on the curves and gun it to make the sparks fly from the pot. If that had went out from under me, Lord have mercy. I'm so glad I'm not young and crazy anymore. 
I plan on having a spiritually significant Christmas. Not just for my fulfillment, but knowing that I am blessing my Lord on the day that He should be honored above everything and everyone as a Christian. Can you say, man? That's what David said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's in me. Bless His holy name and and the incentive for blessing Him. Don't forget His benefits. Don't forget what He's done for me. I want to remember what He's done for me and give Him the glory and honor to Him because He's forgiven all of my... Psalm 103, He's forgiven all of my iniquity. He's healed all of my diseases. Come on, get on your shouting shoes. How many know it's time to change shoes and get on your shout? Forgiven all of your iniquity? Do you realize where you would be without that grace and that mercy and that lamb on that cross today? Amen. That you would be a lost sinner on your way to, to banishment and punishment forever? Amen. Hell is as real as heaven. And Jesus talked about hell more than heaven because he wanted to scare it out of us. He wanted us to fear death without God. And that's why Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we, there it is, we persuade men. We persuade men with great passion because we know what's coming if you don't know Jesus as your Savior. But thank God if you do know Jesus as your Savior, you're living in the now of that salvation. Amen. Who is He that condemneth? It's Christ that died. Yea, that is risen from the dead. Can you say man? Hallelujah. You can do it in this world, but you can't do it in God's courtroom. In God's courtroom, you can't do it. Even the devil can't do it. Who will lay anything to the charge of God's elect? And who are you? And me, to judge another man's servant, to his own master, he stands or he falls. I'm so glad man isn't judging me. When David messed up numbering Israel, God gave him a choice. You want to fall into my hands for judgment? Or you want to fall in the hands of men and give you over to your enemies? He said, let me fall in your hands. You're merciful. It's going to hurt and I'm going to cry. But you're not trying to kill me, destroy me. You're trying to help me. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But don't turn me over to men that hate me. Because they want me dead and they'll show me no mercy. And we're going to have to get rid of this judgmental attitude and get some mercy back in God's house. Because one day you're going to need it. And the only way you can need it is to grant it freely. Blessed are the merciful. Everybody say boomerang. They shall obtain mercy. And when you come to get anything from God, there's only one approach. And it's not your visions, your dreams, your experiences, your gifts, your appointing, or your anointing that gives you an audience with Him. You have to become humble. You have to come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help. That precedes the healing, the deliverance. That precedes the provision, the job you're praying for. It precedes everything. Most Christians are just trying to build their faith strong enough that they can just stand on a promise. You've got to come humbly before the throne 
of grace. And since I've learned something about grace and mercy, I don't discredit someone who prays for me because they don't qualify like someone else might qualify. This guy, when he heard my dog was having, having seizures, we thought we were going to lose him. We prayed for that animal. I say, brother, you pray for a dog? I pray for everything. I'll even pray for y'all. <laughs> Amen. I do. I pray for this congregation. I pray for my pets. I believe in the power of prayer. And it's amazing how many people are not rejoicing in answered prayer. Christians that are supposed to have a reconciled relationship with God. And a prayer life that works. So he came to the Lord door to give me some of his oversized shirts. <laughs> Amen. I put on because he's so long from his trunk up. He come down to my knees. He wears the tall stuff, but he's not that tall. It's just from the trunk up. And he said, how's your doggy doing? I said, my doggy is doing great. He hasn't had another seizure. He said, I'm so happy to hear that. And then he said something that took me back. He said, I prayed for him. And you know, there's a lot of people wouldn't give him no place to pray. You see, you've got to be careful. I'm not saying he's saved. I'm saying he prayed. I'll take that answer. I won't say, well, I, I know my dog is going to die now. His prayer ain't got no value at all. I'm going to dig a hole in the backyard and get ready to memorialize him. My son just came back to the Lord. He's still got some big issues, giants that need to fall in his life. But he came back to the Lord. Before I had the stroke that I had. He wasn't seeking God or reading the Bible. He watching some movie that he didn't like. One of those movies that his wife loves that make you cry. From the Hallmark Channel. It don't make you cry if the dog doesn't die. If this couple don't get together. You know, it's not a good movie. His mind is not on God or me. He said, I'm sitting there. And I'm thinking. Pray for Dad. This is the night before the morning at 6 a.m. when I ended up in the floor and in an ambulance with a serious stroke. Pray for your daddy. He hasn't established a personal prayer life. He doubts that God would say anything to him. He doesn't feel like he's come to any place spiritually yet that God could talk to him, let alone use him to intercede for me. You see, you don't understand. You've got to understand. You've got to understand at some point the purpose and power of grace. There are people that didn't want to give 
God or your son that was dying credit that he could have in the last moment that a God would be that gracious, that a God would be that good. Am I telling you the truth? There are people that would not allow or acknowledge that he could get saved on his deathbed. And yet a thief beside Jesus, literally, on his death cross said, remember, oh, come on, church. I'm not talking about church stuff. I'm talking about God stuff. Amen. I'm not talking about what the church mandates, but what God says. Hallelujah. Listen, you're not going to be judged by this denomination or that organization. You're going to stand before His throne. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Listen, and He says, Lord, He can't come down and be baptized in water. He would if He could, but He just can't. When I went to pray for your uncle, when I went to pray for your brother, I prayed for him to receive Christ. I don't know his past. It's probably messed up. The rest of us was. Oh, don't look at me so strange. You were messed up before you came to Jesus. But he expressed a desire to be saved and to repent of his sin, and I led him in the sinner's prayer. And you know the next thing he asked? Would you baptize me? And that was in a nursing home. And I told him, yes, sir, I sure will. It was a hospital nursing home. One or the other. But he was flat on his back. I went in. I asked the nurse, can you bring me a basin? Can you bring me a clean towel? She said, yes, sir, I sure can. She brought a basin of water and a clean towel. And I took and a dry towel. And I took the, one of the towels and dipped it in the water. I, I, sprinkling is not what I say is the choice way to be baptized to represent what it represents, immersion. So I didn't, but I can't get him to the water, but I can get the water to him. Can you say, man, God is not going to deny someone heaven. Listen, water is not the saving element. In fact, the water means nothing if the blood hasn't been applied. Hallelujah. But when the blood's applied, when the blood is applied, and the blood is applied when you receive Christ who supplied it as your Savior. And I squeezed that water all over his head and chest. And then I dried him off. And I baptized you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And I believe we're going to see him in heaven. Not because he earned it, merited it. But because he received what God offered as the free gift that he offered it as. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The unspeakable gift. The indescribable gift. Hallelujah. You got to get off your high horse. When people resent people getting saved. Because they don't believe they fulfilled enough righteousness in their eyes. The Bible spoke of the gift of righteousness. It's a gift granted. You can't weave your own wedding garment. God has to supply it to you. Who are these coming out of every kindred, tongue, and nation? Coming right into the presence of God in His holy place. These are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? but the blood of Jesus. 
So I know when I preach against sin, they're going to put me over in the legalist. When I preach grace, they're going to put me over in the liberal. You know something I'm going to preach against sin and I'm going to preach grace because I'm too old to start playing the church game trying to please everybody. Amen. If I don't please you, there's too many churches to go to to sit here dissatisfied. But I want to tell you biblically, I can back up what I'm telling you this morning. It may not fit what you believe. Amen. It's like taking a puzzle and you don't have the right piece, but you're frustrated and want to finish. So you take a piece that don't go there and you start pounding it in. And you can get it in. But that tree limb coming out of that dog's ear doesn't go there. Can you say, man, it just don't go. And if you will wait patiently and look diligently, you will find the dog's ear instead of the tree limb. And then you'll get it right. And by the way, it will fit without you beating on it. I've had people come to my office and beat on my desk years ago. This was years ago. I thought, what is your problem? What has got you so upset? I had a lady come. I was preaching on submission. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. No, submit yourself unto God. What? Yes, submit your... No, you can't resist the devil if you, Jesus isn't Lord. Amen? Submit your... Everybody say submit. Submit yourself to God and then resist the devil. He'll flee from you because God is going to back you up. Everything's going good in this submission teaching. Submit to them that have the rule over you. What? Children? Children? Oh, yeah, you, it's hard to have weddings today. You promise to love, honor, and obey? What? We all have problem with that. Amen. <laughs> Him? Are you kidding me? Obey? Where's that? Submit yourself. Children, submit yourself to your parents. Christians, when someone brings the word, submit yourself to one another. Wives. Uh-oh. Everybody say, uh-oh. Submit yourself to your own husband as unto the Lord. Doesn't mean to put him in the place of the Lord. It means as your service to the Lord, your obedience to the Lord, your honor to the Lord. So, service is over. People have repented, <laughs> praying. I thought it was a good service. Thought we might whip the devil for a change. But then a lady came knocking on my door. I hadn't even got out of the building. I usually run quickly out of the building. <laughs> but she caught me. She came in. She said, Preacher, I heard everything you said, and I know you quoted Scripture. That part about the husband submitting to the wife. I've been a Christian longer than him. I know more about the Bible than him. I pray more than him. I'm more spiritual than him. 
And the scripture says, and here we go, we're going to get in a sword fight. And the scripture says that there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, bond nor free. We're one in Jesus Christ. I said, you're right. You're absolutely right. Concerning salvation, he don't see a male, a female, a big man, a tall man, a short man, a rich man, a poor man. He sees a man that's a sinner that needs a Savior. And we become one in our relationship to him. But I said, here's the question I pose to you. I said, when the scripture said, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Sarah did it because she honored Abraham. So this is God's plan. Come on, henpeck husbands. This is God's plan. Be the man. Don't try to rule over your wife, but earn her respect spiritually. Amen? Amen? Let her see you pray. Let her see you study. Let her see you follow Christ. Listen to me carefully. So I didn't mean to be sarcastic. I want to be accurate. I don't defend the Bible. I just tell the truth of it. I said it says... Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Is that correct? Yes, but there's neither male nor female. I said, well, listen to this. Here's the deal. In your marriage, not in your gender, I said, are you the husband or are you the wife? She said, brother, you know I'm the wife. I said, okay. Then this is not about gender anymore. This is about the husband and the wife and the home. That's it. That was it. I'm going to show you what happened. And I never saw her in church again. And I never missed her for a minute. Because if you're going to play that game... You don't need to be where I'm preaching. You don't need to be sitting where I'm a pastor. Can you say man? Because that's trying to play a game with God to get your way instead of to let God have His way in your heart and in your life. I'm told to make disciples unto Him. And if you don't want to follow Him, I ain't got time to fool with you. I love you and God loves you, but I just don't have time to invest in something I know is not going to bring forth any fruit. Amen? So we don't play that game. If it's in the Word, it's in the Word. Hallelujah. And if it don't fit, listen, if I rub the cat the wrong way, if I'm rubbing the fur the wrong way, turn the cat around. Because I'm rubbing it with the brush of the Word. This lack of repentance... Is holding back revival in the church and through the church to the world. This lack of the kingdom being first is killing our witness. Our own kids are, are not dedicated like Muslim children. And the reason the Muslim children are dedicated, they see their parents. 
total commitment to their error. Someone said the heathen is true to the false God. And the hypocrite is false to the true God. And how many knows that needs to change if we're going to see this last day revival? And since I've seen these things, when I read these other pastors, <laughs> this, is, this is a true story. <laughs> this is what one pastor wrote. My Christmas is ruined, the woman shouted as she bolted from the church. Until that point, she felt her Christmas celebration had been most enjoyable. The Christmas tree and the poinsettias had made a beautiful scene as they surrounded the front of the church. The choir had sung her favorite Christmas anthems. She had sung those old familiar carols with everyone. The candlelight setting gave her the desired feelings. The large, almost full-scale manger scene at the corner of the back was new and she couldn't wait to examine it more closely. Every year the celebration of Christmas and the customs made her feel good. All was warm and comforting till she went up to the manger after the service approached the manger. She expected to see the little baby Jesus so cute and helpless in his perfectly carved wooden manger surrounded by antiseptically clean straw and accompanied by cattle that simply lowed but did nothing foul to the scene. When she pulled back the blanket covering the Christ child, to her horror, she saw not the baby Jesus, but an adult crucified Jesus, nailed to a cross, complete with wound marks and blood. It was not what she expected. It was not what she wanted so she stormed out of church in a rage. The woman was what pastors often call C&E, one who attends church only on Christmas and Easter, whose spiritual interest is not in active discipleship, but merely a cultural enjoyment of religious symbols around the holidays. Christmas is all about feeling good, and so the C&E people believe that's the whole purpose of a Christmas service, is to make me feel sentimental and make me feel good. It's not to give God His due for what He has done in Christ and what Christ has done on the cross. Wow. I've heard many people dismiss the cross with the statements like this, I don't worship a dead Christ. I don't need a cross. Yet many of these people love the manger scene. Might equally we say, I don't worship a baby. I don't worship a baby. I don't worship the baby because he's not a baby. He grew. And at 30 years old, he became a man. But that man was still the Lamb of God. Christmas without, it, without the cross is going to be empty, spiritually insignificant, unfulfilling to God, and unfulfilling to us. Simply stated, the truth of Christ's birth or the Christmas season is that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, became the babe of the cradle, that He might become the man of the cross 
that he might die as our sinless substitute to release us from the penalty of sin and to reconcile us to God that we might receive eternal life and live abundantly through his life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten. To us, a child is born, a son is given. Thank God for the unspeakable gift. Whom having not seen, we love. Here's that term again, with joy unspeakable and full of glory. But I'm going to tell you, if you've been baptized in the Holy Ghost, when that joy rises up, what no human words can express, my heart can now speak to God because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Tongues is not too much pizza. Can you say, man, it's a gift to communicate mouth to mouth with God and express what words cannot find. Wouldn't it be great if Christians had joy unspeakable? Because of the cross, the resurrection, the Christ that loved us enough to go there. Hallelujah. Expect to see your uncle in heaven. Receive Christ baptized in water. I expect to see him in heaven. I don't know what else we could do for him but lead him to the cross. But I know what God can do for him when he gets there. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. 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 Brother Taylor. I believe we're going to see your son in heaven. Because I believe, (laughs) hallelujah, that grace is sufficient. And I believe with his eyes closed, amen, that he knew what to do when he knew he had to do something like the thief on the cross. I believe he called upon the Lord. And you know what? Everybody, everybody, everybody know that you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you? Well, something else occurs after the Holy Ghost is manifest in this world. Can you say amen? It says, and you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You'll be witnesses unto me in Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Put me in the camp if you want to with somebody you don't like, but I'm going to preach the good news of Jesus till he comes. Will you stand to your feet? We're going to, no, stay seated. It's time for Holy Communion. Would you please serve us this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.